In talking with those that have either left the church or thinking about leaving the church, there seems to be parallel conversations going on. That means that while those inside the church tend to talk about authority and priesthood and keys and prophets, those leaving the church or on the outside of the church talk more about the ethics of the church, that the church is supporting the wrong causes or that bishops have been unethical or the church has tried to hide things. It's about ethics. While we're talking about authority, they're talking about ethics. This parallel conversation isn't really effective. And as it turns out, it is exactly the conversation that Alma and uh, the Antichrists are having in the middle of the Book of Mormon. Join us today for, uh, for a little discussion about ethics and Alma. And welcome to another Monday morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get? In one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within his pages. And now, on to the class. Okay, we're up and running. Okay, good. Well, welcome. Uh, glad we're here this morning. I, um, I've had a couple of requests that we extend the class by a week or two. Uh, so let's kind of see. Uh, probably we're not going to meet on Memorial Day, I would imagine, but maybe right up until. So then we'll take a summer break. Um, okay. So as we get started, it's, it's in my in my practice. Um, Every two years, I get this fun little cycle of needing to do, redo my uh, continuing education classes. Okay, and one of those that's always required is an ethics class. Got to take the ethics class. Okay, so Mike, what would be your definition of ethics? Doing the right thing for the right reason, honest integrity. There you go. Okay, and who now? Who determines? what is ethical and, and who doesn't. It might be a committee, it might be a, the profession you're in. It's sure. Variable, I guess. Yeah, and then their job is to make sure they police ethics. We're going to set the ethics and then we'll let you know if you were unethical. Mm-hmm. And we can take whatever steps we need to remedy the unethicalness. Yeah. So when I was a young pup, I was a realtor. Oh, yeah. And we had a standard of ethics had nothing to do with cheating people. <laughs> Our only ethical standard was you couldn't badmouth another realtor. <laughs> because that would be the bounds at which you've gone that was, too far. I, mean, I had to sign this page and a half thing say, that said that I will never say anything bad about another realtor who is a, a realtor. <laughs> but uh, it didn't say anything about uh, buying a house for uh, 
<laughs> Isn't that funny? I think, wasn't it Reagan who said, uh, rule number one is thou shalt not speak evil of another Republican? <laughs> <laughs> well, it didn't even say I couldn't talk bad about other people that sold real estate. Just other realtors. Only members of the real estate. Ah. Okay. So with this idea, so outside of a profession, how do we decide what is ethical and what is not? The culture. Sometimes the culture decides this is ethical and this is not. Which is sometimes a culture may be a mix of a lot of different people. Yeah? Well, and from the culture, they come up with laws. and uh, Written and unwritten, right? Written and unwritten and how laws are interpreted, which is what the judge is supposed to figure out. Oh, so, but now you're talking about legal ethics. If a, so, so, so that's why it's not just about ethics, it's also about who gets to police the ethics and enforce the ethics. Okay, yeah? I, I might not understand what ethics means, but to me it's how you were raised, what your, what your parents instilled in you as what was right, ah. what was wrong, so, your... So, so in your home growing up, there was a set of, it may not be carved in stone, but you knew what was ethical and what was not. Okay? So I like the idea, sometimes that comes from culture. More milk. I am. More than just high. Oh, you're going to hit and run here. He's already contributed. What do you got? Just a point of interest for people. I'm a CPA, and yeah. before you can take the CPA exam, you have to have completed a Texas-approved ethics course. Yes, and then every time you do your continuing education, you got to redo it. That's right. Now, now that implies or assumes that from then on, CPAs are ethical. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> but it's also, but, but, but so they're not sure, that's why every time there's a cycle coming around, you've got to retake the ethics to just remind you because you might have forgotten what is ethical and what is not. So I think it's interesting that companies have ethics, uh, but isn't it also that societies have ethics? The, the, these days, crossing ethics will get you canceled. My grandson uh, was in charge of the the uh, company's ethics uh, for how did it go, Cindy? That uh, in Korea he was in charge of uh, giving the or installing the ethics, American ethics in the Korean people that he was ah, dealing with. Okay. And they didn't like it. No, because they had their own set of ethics. Their own set of what's right and what's wrong. Right, and way things are done. And that was another culture thing, too. But they have, the company he works for has, the head of that company's from Germany. So his ethics from Germany, he's trying to instill that, plus the Korean culture. And then they brought in an American to... It was interesting. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, when, when people say that someone has received the training, that's usually a misnomer. What it means is they have attended the training. That's right. They've listened. No, well, they were there. They were there. <laughs> yes, I was there. Technically, I can say I was there. And then ethically, I will go out and do what I think I'm going to do anyway. <laughs> okay, yeah. Families, you 
we're talking about professionalism, basically. Yeah. We're talking about. But families will have their own things. I, as I get older, I realize some of the things that my parents taught me about honesty, extremely honest, yeah. at a business. Sure. And the cash register was an old-fashioned, old cash register, didn't have a tape, but my mother would write every sale down. Never occurred to them to cheat the government. And, uh, and about work, they would say things like, oh, he's a good man. He doesn't have to back up to get his paycheck. That's an old country expression. <laughs> you know what that means. But I was taught all those types of things about being honest when you work for someone, yeah. being honest when you handle money and all of that. But not every home had the experience where they would be involved with Right. They might have a different set of ethics. A different set of ethics, but we all whether we realize it or not, get a set of ethics from what, from what we're observing. We do. Absolutely we do. So, uh, uh, keep this idea, because we're going to talk about ethics a lot today. You know? Uh, yeah, Mike? Is the ethics course you take meaningful to you? It's a reminder to me, it, it's not, not, no surprises generally, uh, but it's a reminder of some things sometimes. So I'm, don't, I'm t- don't share private information. Yes, and how to do it. And sometimes, sometimes the board has passed different rules now. This now becomes verboten. You didn't know it was verboten because you know they're not sending it out to you, but the ethics class will include it. Okay, so ethics are upgraded sometimes. So we're going to include. Uh, it, I want change, not upgraded. Revised. Yeah. Uh, for years and years, the, I, I had a great amount of verbodens against online therapy. You don't do online therapy. You just don't. Yeah. Phone phone is iffy, but man, face to face stuff. That's you know you don't do that. Then along comes COVID, and guess what? Now we got all kinds of things about how to do Zoom uh, and do Zoom, not FaceTime, because we found this is more confidential and blah, blah, blah. blah. Yeah, it's, it's encrypted stuff, and so it just changed and got upgraded, okay? Now, here's what I find interesting uh, about this. We've, we've talked a number of times. Uh, that, that one of those things that, that the church is still, and, and Christianity and religion in general is still battling with, is the nuns. Not N-U-N. <laughs> nuns. N-O-N-E's. The nuns. We have left the building. We're gone. And, and they're still trying to get their finger on why are they nuns? Why, are they, why, why is the rise of the nuns uh, such a problem? Okay? Um, Incidentally, the nuns are more like, less likely to be nuns than most nuns are in UN. Ne- never mind. <laughs> bad, bad dad joke. Uh, yes, it's a mess. But, but I realize sometimes in our conversation with people that have left, uh, we start having these, we're talking past each other a lot. Okay, Not all the time, but isn't it interesting how often this is what happens? Those that are in the church, and we are, we are true believers, and we're going to talk about the church is true, or why I believe, or why I attend, all of that. We use, we use interesting words like, we're going to testify of the truth of the restoration. The church is true, meaning it's accurate, meaning it's 
It's not. It's not. It's authorized. God and Joseph Smith did it. That's right. So, so along with that, there's going to be doctrines of salvation. That if you want to be saved, you need to do this, and if you don't do this, you're not going to be saved. Okay. Does truth also mean 100 percent accurate? Well, this is if, if we take it from the doctrine and covenants. This is the only true church upon the face of the earth of which the Lord exactly. is. Okay. We have tended to look at that and say. Okay, yes. So the gospel is true, and the doctrine is true, but the doctrine that we understand yeah. includes doctrine that's not true. Because yeah. humans are really yeah. yeah, that's right. So that's why we're getting to... So, so part of this doctrines of salvation comes out of the, especially the Christian tradition of, well, how, who's saved and who's not. How do you know who's going to heaven and who's going, who's not? What is sin and what's not? And and because we got to know what's sin and what's not, so you know what you're doing and what you're not doing, that means who gets to go to heaven and who doesn't get to go to heaven. Or who gets to go to heaven but gets the bigger mansion, and who goes to heaven but gets the littler mansion, uh, because you weren't as truthful, honest, salvational, you sinned more, you were... You were rich and unethical. You starved the poor, so therefore you get the smaller mansion. You have to live on the cul-de-sac with the poor people who get the bigger house in the mansion because that's heavenly karma. (laughs) It just happens. (laughs) Right? Isn't that awesome? Okay. So how are you going to know? So so like baptism. Got to be baptized. How do you know who's going to do the baptizing? Does anybody's baptism work? Oh, well, no. If we're testifying, we're going to say, okay, we've got to talk about authority and keys. I, I was baptized. Well, Peter, James, and John, John the Baptist, you know, uh, you know, lines of authority, I've got to have authorization. I've got to have credibility. Well, I have my line of authority. I can, I can take all my priesthood authority back, and, and we're, we do keys. And we can tell you how many people in a ward have keys. It's about authority and authorization to do things so that you can be saved. Yeah? Okay, it seems like, maybe I'm not understanding where you're going with this, but it seems pro- like... Pro- probably not. I tend to wander. <laughs> the paths unknown. You're talking about nuns. Yes. And you're talking about authority and keys. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on to that one for just a sec, okay? You're going right where I'm going. Okay? Because we're talking about, this is why we have parallel conversations. We if we're going to talk about why I'm in the church, truths, authority, keys, doctrines. Which kingdom are you going to? Well, let me give you the, the, the qualifications that get you into each kingdom and what authority it requires. You know, it, it's, a very kind of, it's almost a very legalistic kind of deal, right? And who's going to tell us what it is? What if the ethics change a little bit? How do we know that we're doing the ethics right? Well, that's what general conference is for, right? We're going to hear from the general what? Authorities, right? Who, by the way, do they have keys? Yes, they've got keys. They've got authority. Yes, how about all of that, right? And that's why I believe. I want to make it with my family to heaven. Therefore, I'm going to have the the ordinances and the authority to be able to be sealed so I can do this. And and then I'm going to listen to the prophet who's going to, if there's anything that needs to be updated. Okay? That's our language. Okay? Right? Now, here's where the parallel conversation comes in. 
And Milt, you're right on. Those who are leaving the church, is this important to them? No. No. Uh-uh. Here's what I hear from many who have left the church. Not all, but many. What they speak of is the non-ethical nature of the church. The church is not ethical. You say, well, no, but we have the authority. We have keys. It's not ethical. Meaning what? Their actions. The what? Their, their actions are not like what? They're not ethical. They, they cheated their business. They, they cheat. Well, so, yeah, individuals, right? Right. Sometimes Mormons do bad things, right? But what about the church as an institution? Well, the church as an institution, for instance, has huge investments. And they have hidden those investments. That's right. Because they don't want people to know they have huge investments. That's right. And so, so it's not ethical because it's hiding money. We know it's hiding money. Now, they can't figure out, other than the investment brokers, they can't figure out anybody in the church getting rich because they actually track down uh, what, what the apostles make. You know, because they had to list some, do some listings in Canada for some property they're buying. So the board of directors, that's the apostles, so they have to, you have to show us the salaries of, of what the apostles make. Now, the base salary of an apostle is pretty close to what I make. It's about 120, 150,000 a year. It is. It is right in that range. And so nobody, so for all of these billions that we're hiding, nobody's getting rich except the investors. So they're up to something. Well, most of those apostles gave up more lucrative. Oh, didn't they though? So. Absolutely. So, so they're losing. I remember my uh, my mission president who had been a, who had a, a steel business, multimillionaire. And when he became a member of the Quorum of Seventy, his wife told me that she says, "Oh, we lost a lot of money. <laughs> it's, it's a different lifestyle." <laughs> okay, but the non-ethical nature um, of of the church and the non-ethical motives of the leaders. Did Joseph Smith lie? Did the leaders lie? Did Was Brigham Young unethical? Was he racist? You know, uh, and, and so what happens for people leaving the church is they're not looking at keys and authority, they're looking at ethics. Are the leaders, is the church ethical? And they're going to say, nope, it's not. Therefore, we're, are they treating LGBT poorly? Are they treating uh, blacks? Are they treating whoever it is? We're being, we're being unethical. And so we can't be in a church that's going to be unethical. Okay? Does that make sense? So what we get is these parallel conversations. No, it's about authority and truth. No, it's about ethics. I'm leaving because of ethics. Okay? Yeah. Okay, so kind of on this. Mm-hmm. So what some of them say is that the Christians are being mean to them because yes. there's Christians who speak. Who out are being mean? Me, they are being unethical and according and to the culture and society, right? And Christ said to love everybody. Yep. I know. Christ said to love everybody. And they're saying, yeah, but the Christians are the ones... They're not being, they're being nice. Hate speech That's right, because it is hate speech, so yes. the, it's unethical, so it's immoral, so I'm leaving. Yes. Okay? Uh, and I can't be around a church that's going to be mean like this, because they have a set of ethics that says, talks about love and tolerance and, and all of that. 
And isn't that what Christ taught? But yet they're saying all Christians are bad because there's a few Christians who write these articles that are hateful. Right. Okay, so, right. So that's why it is that I think it's interesting. I've been kind of wrestling with this all week, trying to figure out how do you bridge this divide? Because the problem is nobody's listening to each other because we're talking authority, 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 keys, salvation, and they're going ethics, ethics, and you're being mean and bad people, and blah, 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 and we're just not connecting. Okay? Now, I find that really interesting because uh, the, the Book of Mormon, which it oftentimes does so well, actually hops right into the middle of this. Okay, uh, so why don't, let's see, uh, yeah, let's go to, uh, I'm going to go ahead and hop into it. Let's go to Alma 30. Which, again, I just think is interesting because Alma 29, we get the psalm of Alma, oh, that I were an angel, could have the wish of my heart, I could preach salvation, I could shake the earth, and people would repent, it'd be wonderful. So he's in kind of this wonderful space. And then we get to Alma 30, and who shows up? Korahor. We get this moment. Now, you got man, I tell you what, you gotta love Korhor. And by the way, give Mormon a lot of credit on this one too, because Mormon's gonna say he could have easily taken Alma thirty and just said an Antichrist by the name of Korahor came along. Uh, Alma did a big slap down on him and he died. <laughs> could have all happened in one verse. Mormon says, no, let me explain to you his arguments. Let me lay out in detail what it is that Korahor was railing against. Why? Because who is the book written to? Us. Us. So, man, does this resonate. Now, uh, we're going to take this. We know, verse 7... There's no law against a man's belief. Okay? But what's going to happen is that here, come, here comes Korahor. 12. Law could have no hold against him. Dang it. <laughs> Begin to preach unto the people there should be no Christ. Now, there's a reason why it is <laughs> there would be no Christ. 13. Now, talking to everybody. Um, Oh, you're bound down under a foolish and vain hope. Why do you yoke yourself to what? Foolish Foolish things. Because part of his belief system is going to include what? Why do you look for a Christ for no man can do what? Know what's coming. Now, Is that why the psychic network went bankrupt? <laughs> you think they'd have seen that coming, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, now, you look forward, you, you say you see a remission of your sins, but I say that's the effect of a frenzied mind, and this, de- this derangement of your mind becomes of the traditions of the fathers. 
Okay, now we now somehow we've got to be able to track this thing. Okay, because the logic here is really fascinating, and then it comes into sharp relief when he, when he, he starts talking to Alma. <coughs> um, first of all, right, sitting in the mission. In, oh, that's awful. <laughs> oh, that that'll kill you, won't it? The traditions of the father. Okay, uh, and they're and they're gonna that's gonna derange your mind. Wow. Okay. Uh, now, as opposed to you can say now, I'm gonna replace this idea of traditions. What verse are you in? Uh, 17. Or 616. Now we're going to 17. Okay. Here is another set of ethics that I'm going to replace it with. He said that uh, you can't know... You can't know what's coming... But, so what do, how do you live your life? How do you decide what to do in society on a regular basis? What does 17 tell you? Every man fares according to what? His genius. His genius. Oh, and his strength. Yeah, according to your strength. And, and if that's the case, so you can't know. So it's all about your own individual strength. And pull yourself up by your bootstrap. Whatsoever a man did was no crime. That works, right? So if it's about strength, then whatever I do, if, I, if I'm the big dog on the block, nothing I'm doing is bad. Because I'm being able, because it's according to my strength. If I'm stronger than you and I take your property, I was just stronger than you. That's that's a predator. Yeah, I'm going to be at the top of the food chain, right? So because of that, what's what's the ethics? Well, really, not a lot of ethics, (laughs) except he's about to make some accusations against the church for being unethical. Okay, that that's what that's what makes this interesting. Now, the result of by the way, so this derangement. So back over here, he's going to tell us. Um, oh, so by the way, th- this then leads to a lot of wickedness. Oh, bad. You guys are bad. Okay, now. Um, now, here's, here's, I think, what gets him in trouble. Because technically you'd say, okay, this is what he believes. If this is what he believes and this is what he's teaching, then should he get arrested for this? I no, it's just his belief. Yeah, well, that, yeah. With Nahor, they had, had something to get him on. But on, with Korahor, he's just preaching. And they're going to haul him before the judge, and they're going to and everything. But look at what he's doing now. He's going to tell you 
what's driving the ethics. Okay, now they're going to take him before the first one, Gedona, uh, and he says, I do not teach the people to bind themselves under these foolish ordinances and performances. So part of the tradition has to do with ordinances like baptism. I'm not going to, I'm going to tell them not to do that. Now, but look at look at what he's accusing them of. Why are they why are they binding themselves to these false traditions? I do not teach these people to bind themselves under foolish ordinances and traditions. Why? They were laid down by ancient priests. Oh, why? To usurp power and authority over them. So many of the nuns today talk about the fact that the purpose of religion is to do what? Control. Religion wants to control you, wants to tell you what you can wear and what you can eat and where you go and what you do. It's about control and religion is controlling. We don't want to be controlled. And by the way, and they just want to do it so they can control you. Okay? So the, uh, what he's accusing them of, you're going to usurp power and authority of them, keep them in ignorance, they're not going to be able to lift up uh, their authority. Therefore, I'm going to say, and, and then he mixes in these beautiful discussion. I say this is a free people. Is he right? Yes, it's a free people. Okay? You still have your agency. But I'm going to say what? As long as they live under your umbrella, false traditions, frenzied uh, ordinances, stuff like that, I'm going to say if you're doing those things, what does that say about you? You're in bondage. Okay? Now, now, you say this is a free people, 24. I say they're in bondage. You say that these ancient prophets are, or prophecies are true. But I say, and I love this one, I say that you do not know that they are true. Nobody can know that this is true. You can't know the prophecies of the future and the traditions of the past are frenzied and crazy. Nobody can know. And now, but, but now he mixes in one more that I think is, is interesting. You say that this people is a guilty and fallen people because of the transgression of a parent. See how, see how good this guy is? Yes. Now, by the way, don't we, have a, don't we have an article of faith on this? We believe that man will be punished, what? For our own sins and not for Adam's transgression. Is he right? In, in verse 25, he's, he's, he's right about everything after... The common. Yes, right. <laughs> that, 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 He's claiming that the, the church teaches something that the church didn't teach. Yes, but by adding a spin to it, it's like it's like Satan in the garden going, you need to eat of this fruit so that you can know about opposites and you can know uh, about sickness and, and pain and so you need to do that. Was he right? Yes. And you shall not die. No, they're going to die. <laughs> but but I'm going to throw the I'm going to throw the the lie in there. But I'm going to pile it on truths. So no, he's right. 
they are a free people uh, and we are a fallen people because of the choice of Adam and Eve and we're grateful for that it was, a, it was a fortunate fall but because of the transgression of a parent I say a child is not guilty because of its parents well, okay <laughs> but, but children are affected by the patterns and behaviors and, and set of ethics that you grow up with Okay, we're affected by it you see the mix on here Okay, now, but I'm going to say that there is no Christ. You also say he'll be slain for the sins of the world. Um, uh, I don't. I say that that's not true. So, in an, in a nutshell, here's here's what he's accusing the leaders and Alma and everybody else. These these Christian Israelites. They, dur- they durst not make use of their own, meaning probably body and money and resources and all that, lest they should offend the priests who do yoke them according to the desires, brought them down to believe by their traditions of the past and their dreams and their whims and visions and pretended mysteries of the future. The stuff is past and nobody knows what's coming. Okay. Uh, that they should, if they did not, according to their words, offend some unknown being who they say is God. And then here's the claim a being who has never been seen or known, or who never will be. Now, I think it's fascinating that what's built into the traditions of the Nephites? Who, who, saw, who saw God? Lehi, Nephi, you know, we have these traditions of people who saw God. I call that frenzied. I call that deranged. I call that and what it's made up. Why would anybody do that? Okay. Um, Now these guys, first of all, Gedona and then Alma, isn't quite sure what to do with all this. This is kind of a new set of arguments. That unlike kind of what we found uh, down the road. So they're going to, 29, they're going to cause him to be bound, deliver him up to the officers, send him to the land of Zarahemla that he should be brought um, before Alma. Okay? Now, yeah? Before you get into that part, I'm sitting here thinking that in the 60s when I was in college, the same <laughs> argument. This is nothing. I mean, it's not new, is it? He uses this same argument over in different ways of saying it and all that. But you weren't supposed to trust anybody over 30 and, and all this types of stuff because they have to break down. Uh, you want to, like, tradition is bad. You have to break that down. You have to break down your trust in the, tra- in the traditions. And, and things that you have been taught. That's that right. Means your parents, that means whatever, the government or whatever. You have to break that trust in order for them to sell their argument. Because if you still respect your parents, or you may, all of us are doing things a little differently than the way our parents did. I don't care what, how wonderful your parents were. We're all doing things a little bit differently. Because we have things involved, whatever. Sure. But they have to break that down the tradition of the family and all of that. Yeah. Does, in order to be able to sell this story. 
these days, when we roll to something like the July 4th, are our founding fathers inspired and blessed, or were they racist slaveholders? Probably were both. They were probably both. But if if we're going to go on the side of ethics, now we're going to say they're racist slaveholders, so therefore the nation was established as racist, so therefore, you know, there's, there's a line of ethics and thought that goes with that, so you can disregard what they said in terms of replacing it with what you want to be able to do now. And that's a real danger. Oh, scary slope, right? Uh, and and that's, why, that's why I think it's important when we start talking about... Um, Joseph Smith and polygamy. Did Joseph Smith said that he had an angel with a drawn sword standing in front of him saying, you have to do this. Okay? Which, as a true believer, you'd say, do I believe that Joseph Smith is a prophet? Do I, I'm going to tend to believe that he, said, he saw what he said he saw. Now, on the other side, if I'm on the other side of that ethical divide, what am I saying? He was yes, right. And he just did it as a cover for his own proclivities. There's the, there's the divide. And so, and so that's why it's interesting that a lot of the stuff when it comes to church history, like we said, is, talk, is attacking the traditions. It's, we can't believe what happened back here. Uh, and not only that, they're false prophets, so they can't know what's coming in the future. So we have to attack all... That's why it's an ethical problem. And we're going, no, the church is true. Let me send you talks from President Nielsen. <laughs> this, will, this, will, or this meme will turn you around. No, we've got to address the ethics problem in the room. And that's why it's not working. Okay, Does that make sense? I think what these people, these nuns and all of them are talking about, mm-hmm. they may leave the church and say that they have sloughed off all of these things, but many of them are replacing it with something else. Well, right. And, and, uh, and so there is still a need. It's, there is. There is a need somewhere, for whatever reason. For them to attach themselves to something. Just to something. Now, now, in all in all fairness to many who have left, uh, I mean, I, I saw some questions addressed on social media the last couple of weeks where they're saying, "Could somebody be an atheist and ethical? Yes. Could they be a moral person who is an atheist?" No, I was. You answered your yeah. question, but there is a big misconception I find with people that atheists. That's right. An atheist can be a wonderfully ethical kind of person. They can, and it's been, and so I think there. If you're casting aside, see, see, ethics, ethics for somebody in the church goes back along to what has God said, what does the Scripture say, what does the church say. That defines our ethics. Now, when somebody's going to struggle with the church for whatever reason, and a lot of these are really, really good people, I'm going to have to find an ethical, moral way to live my life outside of God said. But where did they learn that type of knowledge? <laughs> where did they learn about thou shalt not steal? Yeah. Not steal and well, and they say, well, it wasn't it wasn't Judeo Christian because you know they're gonna, I, I'm learning it in Buddhism. I'm learning it in. But it was still came from some source. Yeah, it did. And they most likely, they most of them learned it in Sunday school. <laughs> well, no, that, that's not true. That is not true because Christianity 
no. For, for, for leaving our church, right, right, right. And so, one of the ways in, inside our way of looking at things, we would say, what there is a light of Christ that lights everybody, regardless of uh, what they believe. So there generally is out there, you probably shouldn't kill. General, I mean, there's there are, there are some ethics. Of it. One thing that you know, because people really get off on this. I mean, I've heard this argument a lot. I'm sure yeah. One thing, my husband went to Japan on his mission, and that yeah. to me is an excellent example. The people in Japan are constant; they're more group oriented. Yeah. They are taught from infants to consider others, to look at take, take care of their elders, uh, right, to, uh, honor their to, ancestors. Right, to mm-hmm. honor their ancestors, to, to think about others. You know, they don't think about themselves. They think about others. Their crime is so much lower than what we have. They do not have the sexual sins, the stealing, the, mm-hmm. you know, and wanting to, you know, kill others and stuff that here in America... But, you know, they, the, like, the, I saw statistics that like 60-70% of them are Shinto, 60-70% mm-hmm. of them are Buddhists, right. 60-70% of them are atheists. They are, you know, because they're not really taught a religion per se, they're taught more of a respect. They are. And things are not, this is moral or immoral, this is rude to other people or not rude. And they do not have the Christian background. Only 1.5%, even after all this, of the people in Japan are Christians. But they are very moral. They are very upstanding and have far less pride than us Christian nations. I know. There's a set of ethics that that sits there. Um, The... uh, uh, on our on our uh, trip in October, we pulled into uh, we docked in uh, Haifa, and as we're sitting in in the dock in, in Haifa, especially after our well, when we first very pulled in, I was on the back of the the ship, and I was standing next to Cindy uh, David David Pulsifer, David Pulsifer. David Pulsifer just completed a book with uh, Patrick Mason talking about peace and and the importance of peace. And uh, poor David went about nuts because as we're sitting in the dock, if you look up the hill in Haifa, is the massive Baai face, main worldwide temple thing and it is beautiful it's a series of paths and gardens and at night it just lights the whole side of Haifa coming down here and he was going crazy because he wanted it's like we're on our way to Caesarea Philippi you're going to and the Mount of Beatitudes great can we get to the Baai thing after because <laughs> they're about peace and, and love and non- Violence and stuff like that, and he had studied them all of his life, and was just anxious to get there. Uh, I want to get to the Bai Temple, um, and and so you see kind of this ethics sitting out there, and for a lot of the people, they're searching for an ethical base. Now, if we're coming from the church, 
so again, so many of our own ethics, what's right and what's wrong, what should I be doing, what should I be not, we tend to look to the prophet or scriptures or listen to the spirit. We have our sources, but it's within our belief system. Okay? Now, that said, so here so here's the interesting clash. They're gonna haul Korahor off to Alma. And Alma at this point, um, I think he's mainly the high priest because the, the, they distinguish out the chief judge. At first he was the chief judge. At this point it, it looks like he's just the high priest. So it's interesting they take him, they're not taking him to the chief judge to be punished, they're taking him to the high priest to deal with a religious issue. No, it says he's the, chief, the high priest and the chief judge. Well, and that's what I'm not, that's what I'm saying. I'm not sure brought before Alma and the chief judge. I could read that both ways. Because I did the same thing. I looked at it and said, oh. it's later that he splits it out, but okay. it, he might have already done it. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, Alma's not going after legal stuff. Alma's going after religious stuff. Now, so what we're going to get from... So Alma, I think, is kind of caught flat-footed a bit on this. Uh, and and I, I want you to be aware that Alma is going to push back against Korahor. And he's going to offer some arguments that are good. And then he's going to offer some arguments that are okay, but but like... Two chapters later, it's like he met, he hits his stride, and and I think you, you ever had the experience where you have a, a conversation with somebody, maybe even some kind of conflict or something, and then like the next day you go, dang it, I should have said that, yeah. or you're driving away going, why didn't I? Ooh, that was even better. I should have said that. That would be better. Okay. This is what I think happens to Alma. Alma's going to have a conversation with Korahor. It goes okay. And then when we get to him, his conversation with the poor Zoramites in Alma 32, he hits his stride. And it's like, and, I'm, and i and I got to think if I'm Alma, I'm going, why couldn't I have said this to Korahor earlier? Because it happens within the same year. If you look at the dates, it happens within just a few months of each other. Okay, why? This was really good. I like this. <laughs> but he doesn't do that. Here he does. So he's going to go, all right. Uh, he starts rising up, reviling, saying the same thing. Uh, these people are leading people away for the, sake, for the sake of doing what? Verse 31. Why are you relying on these traditions? So you can glut yourself on the labors of... I don't know if you even believe it, but you're going to get rich. You're getting rich off of them. That's why you're doing it. Okay? You're glutting yourself on the labors of others. Um, now, that part... that So there's, an eth, so there's a religious concern that did Christ, is Christ going to come. But there's an ethical concern. It's, it's dual-focused. What's the ethical concern? Because he himself preaches that you can do whatever you want with your genes. So if I can, I know, I can dupe you into something. Yes. Then there's no we, we, because I'm smarter. And I know. I know. There's there's a there's a wee bit of hypocrisy here. <laughs> because sometimes when people are doing this, they're going to accuse you of the thing that they themselves would do. Well, if if he's accusing them of that, not saying. I wouldn't do this, but if he's just saying, you claim that you wouldn't do this and you're doing it, 
And that's, that's probably closer. Yeah. Because he is going to say, you're doing it. You're going to base it on the silly traditions of your father. I don't know if you guys believe it or not, because no man can really know, but you're doing it for the sake of glutting yourself on the labors of others. Now, so there's, a, there's an ethical thing. There's a religious thing. So Nephi, or Alma decides to go after the ethical one, because that's, that's shooting fish in a barrel. Okay, He's going to go, oh, wait, wait, stop. 32. We don't glut ourselves on the labors of others. I've labored from the commencement of the reign of the judges even till now to my, with mine own hands to support. These guys don't take any money. We're not glutting ourselves on anybody. It's like, it's like the quorum of the twelve going, no, we're not, nobody's getting rich off of the church. That one's an easy one to refute. The second part, though, is harder. And this is the one where I think he offers a kind of a, a decent argument here. But at the end of the day, it's not one that would float very far. So they're going to go back and forth. Um, uh, let's see if I can find it real quick here. Uh, there it is. 44. Here, I'm going to go over here. Okay, we'll do that. Okay, and Mark. Here we go. Okay. Show me a sign, he's going to say, that, that God's there, that he has real power. Tell me, tell me that it's real. Use that word for... He can say, thou hast had signs enough, uh, thou hast... Uh, will you tempt God? Uh, the scriptures are laid before... The scriptures say there's a God... Uh, all things denote that there's a God, even on earth. All things are on the face of the earth. It's motion. The planets do move in their regular form. Do witness that it's a supreme creator. Now, if we are, as we're looking at that as believers, is that kind of affirming? Oh, that's cool. God's in his heaven. Everything's organized. That's nice. <laughs> if you're Korahor, and he goes, Korahor, Korahor melt. The, the, the reli- the, hey, the scriptures say there's a God and the planets moving in their purpose all the, I'll say there's God and your response would be nope no and, and that has been my experience with people who have left the church is, is that they left the church later they're looking at the ethics and so it's like, at least in my experience, I haven't known, I'm sure there are, but I haven't known anybody who leaves the church because of ethical issues. That's just my own Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, they're out. There's a bunch of... Yeah, they do. This is, this is where they tend to attack. But I also know that if we're going to say these days, well, you should believe in Christ because the planets all move in their proper orbit. How's that working for an atheist? It's just science. It's just... Come on. So, to a believer, this is a good argument. To a non-believer, it's a little lukewarm. So it's true, but not helpful. If you're trying to combat. So, in the time we've got left, I want you to see what Alma does. Because Alma, later in the year, will come at this from another direction and I think it's the direction he should have gone from the first place because it's the much 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 more powerful argument even for 
even for an atheist, and I've seen it happen with some with some investigators in our ward, and I've seen it happen within the last few months. Okay, this, this is where it gets really powerful. Okay, now I'm not going to go into the fact that uh, short yeah. Korahor later will say, yep, I did believe, and then an angel talked me out of it. Uh, we're going to not get past the hypocrisy of an angel's coming to tell me that there's no God. Uh, but, if we, if, if, this is Alma 30. Alma 31 is going to get into them going on a mission to the Zoramites and the Ramiampton and all that. We'll do that next week. But I want you to see. I want you to see Alma 30 and Alma 32 as the same conversation. If you look at the first edition of the Book of Mormon, they were in the same chapter. Orson Pratt is the one when he divided up the chapters that separated Alma 30, Alma 31, and Alma 32 into three separate chapters. In the original translation of the Book of Mormon, this was all one conversation, and it all fit together. Okay, in that first edition. Okay, so it's easy to see Alma 32 as an extension of Alma 30. Does that, does that make sense? Okay, and so so let me hop over here um, and show you kind of how this works. Um, so keep in mind, Alma, Korahor is saying to Alma, okay, when it comes to this idea of whether there's a God or not, and there's prophecies, and there's going to be a Christ, and all that kind of stuff. He's going to say, I'm going to fall back. If thou will show me, show me a sign, the sign will tell me that there is a God out there. Okay? Now, we know, we know this story. So we go over to Alma 32. And remember, this is the poor Zoramites who helped build the synagogues and then can't get in. Because... The Zoramites are faring according to their strength and management of the creature. And they're smart and rich and you're stupid and a hard worker, but you're not very rich, so you can't come in. Now, it's not exactly Korahor because they're going to say there is a God and he loves us more than you. Korahor is just going to say there's no God altogether and we're our own gods because we're in charge. So it's not exactly, but it, it has some roots there. Okay? Now... <laughs> So we go Alma 32. Uh, here it is. Look at, look at verse 17 of Alma 32. It gives you a little bit of a link. And again, this happens within months of his battle with Korahor. What's he saying? There are many who do say what? Show us a sign. He's got to, got to, got to have Korahor on his mind. <coughs> Because I know, I just talked to a guy who, who says, I want a sign to prove that this is all true. Okay, So, there, there are many who say, show us a sign. Now, notice this time, if he's going to talk to these poor Zoramites, literally and figuratively, <laughs> he doesn't go to the planet explanation on this one. He goes to something much more powerful and much, much more beautiful, I think. And, th- and this is the one that we recognize. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to come back to it, but I want to... Oh, there it is. So here's 35. So here, I'm going to give you the bottom line, and then we'll go back how we got there. Okay? Instead of what is true and what is ethical, look at where Alma goes. 
He's going to say, He's going to give them some way to know that it's what? Real. Not ethical. I'm not making an ethical argument. I'm not even taking a truth thing. I'm just saying what is real. What do you experience? And he's going to say, not only is it real because it's light, whatever is light is good and discernible, and now behold, you have tasted this light. If somebody said to you, I don't believe lemons are sour. <laughs> and I give you a lemon. And you taste the lemon. Do you, do you believe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't it real? I, <coughs> yeah. Well, watch a baby experience lemons for the first time. <laughs> it's pretty real. Okay? So I think it's interesting rather than, I want you to start off your faith journey at his basic level, I'm not going to talk about I just need you to know what's true. I want you to go to what is real. Now, how's he going to do that? Because I think that's that's the most important part here. So, let's go back here. We're going to go all the way back to... If you're going to believe in this Christ that's going to come, or you're going to believe that Nephi saw what he said he saw, or you're going to believe that Joseph Smith saw what he saw, all of these kind of things that there's no way that we have knowledge, there's something he's saying even more powerful than knowledge, and that is faith. We tend to think faith is the first step towards knowledge. Alma's not going to go there here. He really not. He's going to say some knowledge helps build your faith because faith's going to lead somewhere else. It's really cool what he does here. Okay, but he's going to say, okay, now, faith is not not to have a perfect knowledge. Okay? If you have faith, you hope for things that aren't seen that are true, guys. Um, And 22, I would that you should remember and, and, and link this thing up. Stay with me on this. A little heavy. Um, I, I would that you should remember that God is merciful. God is merciful unto all those who believe in His name. Therefore, He desireth in the first place, in your beginning, to start this whole process. If you're not sure, to start growing your faith. He's going to say, He desireth in the first place that ye should do what? Believe. Believe what? On His Word. Now, I realized as I was looking at this again this morning. Believe on His... We should believe on God's Word. Now, that is multifaceted. uh, Because it's going to say, that Word has a dual meaning. The Word is going to mean, believe in the plan of salvation. Believe in the whole plan. That's one. But more importantly... We have to believe in God's promise. Does that make sense? If every time he says believe on... What I would do... Every time you see the word word... Replace it with promise. And see how that goes. Promise of mercy to come. Promise of of remission of sins to come. He desires in the first place that you would believe even on His promises. 
which is the title page of the Book of Mormon talks about promises. Believe on his promises. Now, he imparts these promises, his word, how? Through angels. Okay, cool. Now, by the way, it's interesting that that uh, the word is actually another word for Jesus Christ as well. The word came among us. First, first John, first in Gospel of John. Okay. All right. So, twenty-seven. If you will awake and arouse your faculties to an experiment on my word. Okay, you you that don't believe in the promises and the stuff of the future, let's just do a little experiment. Now, here, here's where he's going to go. Now, if you know more than to have a desire to believe, let this work in you. Now, we're going to compare the word unto a seed. What's the seed? No. What's the seed? He's telling you. We're going to compare what unto a, unto a seed? The word. We have a primary song that kind of messes with this a little bit. No, the, I'm going to plant the seed. The seed is the word. Or in other words, we would say, I'm going to plant the promise in your heart. If you'll just allow it. So I'm going to plant the promise, the word. Okay? Now, if you'll give place that this promise, this word, be planted in your heart, how do you know if it's a good seed? I mean, intellectually, you might believe it, you might not believe it, okay? But if you're going to at least let it sit, okay, if it's planted in your heart, then what? if it's a true seed or a good seed, and you don't cast it out, that you resist the Spirit of the Lord, what does it begin to do? swell within your breast you feel the swelling motions you say to this oh the, the gospel's true and Jesus is the Christ no what is he saying you'll begin to feel these swelling motions you'll begin to say this must needs be a good seed I don't have to yet know about all the promises I don't have to know about everything I just need to know that when I listen to this, these promises it feels good. It feels... There's something about this. I may not even have to know the whole thing. I just know. I have a fun example of this. I just heard yesterday, Elder Bednar loves to interview new members of the church. And he's like, you know, how did it go? And they're like, um, we were clueless. We had no idea what the missionaries were talking about. Right. Angels, gold plates... You know, yeah, I know. Which we just dump all that stuff on him. Yeah, believe the whole package. We have no idea what the missionaries are saying. He's and Elder Bednar's like, well, why, why did you continue to listen? Because of how we felt. Yeah, it felt good. It felt good. Yeah, yeah. We've got a. I mentioned we've got a a guy in our ward that's just being. He's about to be baptized in uh, about two weeks. Left the church. Year, years ago and now he's come back but he came back to try and prove to himself really that the church wasn't true and he says for the first time in my life I actually read the book of Mormon and dang it <laughs> he says as I'm reading it it felt right it felt good <sighs> he says I still have all kinds of arguments with Joseph Smith and, and all those kind of things but 
the Book of Mormon was, felt. <sighs> dang it. <laughs> yeah. What Alma is saying is positive. Yeah. It's for something. Yes. What Corey Hor is doing is anger. Yeah. He's trying to be against something. And I always think, a lot of times when you hear about two arguments, who's the most angry? Yeah. Who yeah. Hate in their heart. Right. That should tell you something about where the source is coming from. Yeah. Now, now. By the way, with these guys, remember who he's talking to as he's doing this. He's wishing he'd talk to Korahor, <laughs> but he's actually talking to the poor Zoramites. They're going to start off with an ethical question: What was their ethics? They kicked us out of the synagogue. We can't. We can't. We want to worship God, but we can't worship God. They won't let us in. We don't have enough money. We didn't buy a pew. They won't. You only worship when you get on top of the Ramiampton. We can't get up there. Dang it. So. You're, you're the chief judge. Do something about this. Get, you know, come get these guys. And they're, I think they're upset. We, and, and, and sad. We can't worship. And he's going to go, hold on here. So he's going to walk them through all of this. Uh, and then he's going to say, okay, uh, you begin to feel swelling motions. You say it must be a good seed. Therefore, the word of the promise enlargeth my soul. I'm feeling stuff. Now, I love the fact that those on the other side of the argument are like, yeah, it's all emotions. It's, it's a, you know, a testimony is just an emotional thing. We can see that in the brain thing. This ain't that. The spirit and emotions, while well, the spirit may drive emotions, two separate things. It beginneth to enlighten my understanding. Then he's going to use that. But it beginneth to be what? Delicious to me. And then he's going to say... And it's going to grow 35, and then again, 35. Isn't that real? Isn't that real? Uh, now, ultimately, he's, he's going to say, here's what you know. If you're listening to all of this, you might, you're going to know that the seed, this promise, was good. Now, is your knowledge perfect? Oh, no. Now, do you know everything about everything? No. He's going to say, but here's what you do know. Your knowledge is perfect in that thing. Which thing? The promise. When I let the seed in and I clear space for it, and I, it feels good. It feels right. It's my, knowledge, my knowledge, I don't know yet about for sure that Christ is coming, but what do I know? The promise feels good. It feels right. It feels something's happening to me that wasn't happening before. Then you just say, "Isn't that real?" Just like when you taste something, "Isn't that real?" Yeah. Do you like ribs? Yeah. When I eat it, is that real? Yep, it's rib. It, it's real. It tastes good. Okay. All right. How we doing? Heavy, right? Okay. Now, I will say before we kind of start wrap, wrapping up here. The rest of Alma 32, Alma does not talk about knowledge. He doesn't. He's going to talk about what does this faith grow into? If you're going to plant the seed, it's not, he's not using this word seed. What does the seed in Alma 32 grow into? A tree. Not a tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's going to grow into a tree of what? Life. This will grow into a, a tree 
that is the tree of life. Your faith, ultimately when it grows, uh, yeah, if you nourish it looking forward, you can never pluck the fruit of the tree of life. But if you nourish it, um, 41, okay. If you'll nourish the word, nourish the tree, it begins to grow by your faith and great diligence and patience, looking forward to the fruit thereof. It shall take root and it shall be a tree springing up to everlasting life. So this tree, this seed actually leads to what? Eternal life, right? Right. My girlfriend joined the church because she had a need because she had had her breasts removed and she had been raised in a couple of Protestant churches and uh, when she asked for help they didn't they patted her on the head and but she had three Mormon uh, neighbors in the neighborhood and they came to her rescue because of the way that they, they were treated. Yeah. And uh, she, her comment was, I, uh, oh, I found a church that they practice what they're preaching. Yeah. And see, for her, she was walking in, she may not necessarily have had a deep knowledge of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and, and all that kind of stuff, but what she did was she felt loved. Okay, and I think that that's part of what happened. But that unlocks the ability to then let the promises sit and see how that. I think there's a lot of things that lead us to plant the seed. Sometimes the seed has to be prepared a lot. All right, like I say, a little heavier, but just remarkable. And again, I believe fully that this is the talk that Alma wished he would have given to to uh, to Korahor. Yeah. Because now we're not messing with ethics. We're not, ta- we're not talking about what's true or not. We're simply talking about what's real. And he's just saying, rather than try and convert you overnight, I just want you to let, plant the seed. See what, see what happens. See what it feels like. So. Sometimes it doesn't, really, it doesn't change it. Well, uh, the pro- uh, Jesus said that sometimes those seeds get planted on stony, stony ground. And you're not going to give place. Sometimes they roll off the path where the birds pluck them out. We're still supposed to do. Yeah, we still we still put it out there. Yeah. But we know in uh, Alma the Elder's case that Abinadi's birds did take root. Yeah. Even though everybody else was mad. You have a feeling that he kind of, Alma the the Elder kind of probably went off and thought about it and gave place and began to understand that what he was saying was true. I think it's a good point. Yeah. Rhetorical question, I guess. Why don't we talk like this in Sunday school? I don't know the reason why. I think. I th- I, one of the things that happens it's, it's the old it's the old knock I guess sometimes against gospel doctrine is that we tell gospel doctrine answers and ask gospel doctrine questions. Um, but at the end of it too, I think it's here. I think if we would just. Pull, pull this stuff up. Oh, Milt. Milt, the, 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 the times that I've been scurriated 
Is that a good word? Scurriated? That. Because, yeah, you go off script. But, hey, maybe. <laughs> we don't always want to hear that stuff. There's, there's environments where different things are inappropriate, even if they're true. Yeah. Well, it has to be the right, the right place, for sure. Uh, it's one of the things I love about this class, by the way, is that we, I think we have a place where we can kind of dig in just a little bit more and go. That, the other problem is, is that you've got to cover in a long range and you've got to do it in 40 minutes. Which really, really. <laughs> I know. We've heard it before. We want the predictable. We want the predictable. Yeah. I sit here today because of all my 32. Is that right? At some point, that that got you. Thank you, thank you, Kim. You. Um, I think the reason the format at church and Sunday school, I think that comes from being in the fortress. It is a, inside the fortress. Inside no question. Well, yeah, and so, so let me so let me finish with that. I tell you, I'll tell you the thing that I'm wrestling with at the moment because I'm realize this really sharpened for me as I was listening to this, the conversations that I've had with people that are have their their fortress burned down, and they're just now kind of they're lost. Uh, they have a sense of ethics, what's good, is, is, the way to treat people, all those kind of things, which I really readily em- embrace. Bless your heart. You're, gonna, you're working on being kind and loving and caring for one another. And sometimes there are some groups that do that better than we do sometimes inside the fortress, okay? uh, depending on the ward environment and all that kind of stuff. But trying to somehow work with the idea of somebody who's struggling with ethical concerns... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how to apply Alma's approach. I haven't figured out completely how to do it yet. Uh, to see if they would at least be willing to plant a seed and experiment and just see how this feels. And then see if there isn't a way to rebuild a fortress in a way that brings them back into more of a... Because I want those voices. By the way, I want those go- voices in gospel doctrine. Those that have gone through the battle. Yeah. There are people sitting in Sunday school that are struggling but they don't feel safe. That's right. That's true. That's true. And they, they may have a hard time speaking up because of those kind of, Boy, I think that's really, really true. And they're being offended and nobody knows that they were because they, they're not speaking up. That's true. Yeah. So as a counselor, aren't you kind of taught that you can help people if they want to be helped? Oh, yeah. Okay. And, yeah. And, yeah. And God. <laughs> so where are you going with this? God. <laughs> God sent 7 or 8 billion of us down here at this time. Yeah. And, and probably 4 billion of us have never heard about Christ. Yeah. And, and will die without ever hearing. So if, yes. they, if they can come down to this earth and live and die without hearing about Christ, God still thinks that they are going to get an experience that they can grow from. Yeah. And then he still has time set aside between the time they die and their judgment for them to learn. Yeah. So I, I don't think we... Need and, to and Jesus is the teacher. I think we'll do well. I don't think we need to be so focused on believing that, that 
God isn't going to do a better job of teaching people that don't want to listen to. Him. Yeah, but but you know, but like you said, sometimes I'll tell you where I wrestle with it as a as a therapist. Sometimes is that I have LDS people coming in that where the for- fortress has collapsed and they're depressed because it did, and so, so part of that process is is the work that. That, that we need to do because sometimes you're right it, it just they're going to have to walk their own journey but it's a wrestle that I have to do in my office about saying how do we work on your depression and your anxiety about what's next um, but I think focusing on what they want where they yeah, want to go yeah, it, and how you can help them achieve the good things they're, yeah. that they have as goals is better than trying to focus on helping them achieve the good yeah. things that you have as goals for that's them. right yeah, and, and I think I've, I've generally been pretty good at supporting people and saying, let's figure out a, a, a kind of a kind, ethical, loving way for you to move forward. Um, but it's not easy for you to do that. Oh, heck no. It, it, it's not. Because uh, I've had people sit in my office with tears running down their face that I wish I could believe. I really wish I could believe. And I'm like, I'd like to go there. <laughs> yeah. Um, the one thing I have noticed with our children after they have left the church they're lost in a way because they don't have that group. That's right. Feeling and and the nuns. Where to go for it? R- R- Richard McLaren, who wrote the book uh, Faith After Doubt, talks about the fact that these guys that that found some comfort and community and ability to serve inside a community, and then they their their fortress collapses, and then they'd say, "Well, we would kind of like to recreate this." But now they don't trust any fortress at all. And so they try and create these churches, but then they distrust the church that they create. And so then the problem is they, they really, but they're dry, they're, they have this desire to be drawn towards organization because an organization, a group of people, is much more powerful in serving one another than just an individual. And so, yeah, that is this struggle with distrust and ethics and stuff like that. That's a, that's a real deal. And that, that is across Christianity. All over the place. Good question. So, all right, good stuff, guys. Uh, thank you. Um, just something to be thinking about. I'd go back and carefully look through Alma thirty-two, but look at it in the eyes of Korahor and maybe the the sermon not given. Would that have made a difference with him? No, but but would it have? But I think Alma wishes that he'd still said that. So, anyway, I, I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss, or if you had any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming, and we'll see you for another Monday morning class.